here's one way to think about preaching just as we get into this, just as a little introduction. All week, is this not true? We are bombarded constantly with messages on telly, not just adverts, but in the shows, inside the shows, bombarded, on our devices, on the billboards outside, all of which are persuading our hearts and minds that joy and satisfaction, joy, satisfaction, will come from the next relationship, the next encounter, the next job change, the next ice cream, whatever. And I have 20 minutes, 25 minutes. You've got all week of that. We've all got all week of that, and I've got 20 minutes. In the word to persuade our hearts otherwise. That's it. That's the task of the preacher. It's the task of preaching. And I believe in preaching, and I believe in this. God's gathered people, we call it church, here like this. And I do believe in the power of God's word that can do this even in 20 minutes. God can achieve purposes here this morning. So I'm going to read his word, Psalm 30. It's going to come up on the screens if you've got your own Bibles. Psalm 30. And the title of this sermon is Praying in Joy. Uh, And I want us, my prayer through the week has been that we will know joy, but deep joy, not shallow joys, deep joys in the Lord. That's the prayer. And I hope this psalm will get us there. So let's read it. Psalm 30. And just before I do, it's in two distinct parts, really. The first is kind of a summary up front. So we're going to get the summary of the psalm kind of up top. And then a case study. So I'll point that out as we read it. So first, the psalmist here is giving us a summary. Here he goes. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Now, case study. When I felt secure, I said, I shall never be shaken. Lord, when you favoured me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I'm silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, Psalm 30, verse 5, is the linchpin verse. 
Weeping may stay, or you may know it as weeping may tarry for the night, but joy, rejoicing comes in the morning. So, crushing, painful, heaving, sorrow, weeping. You've seen someone weep recently, sob, weeping, may stay for the night and feel unrelenting. You know what that feels like when you go through a night and you can't sleep and it's one o'clock and you think you've had a bit of sleep and it's 1.05. You think you've had a bit of sleep and it's 1.10. Lasts a long time. And I read in a book recently someone described a broken heart, a broken spirit, worse than a broken leg. It's a powerful image. He said, I've had a broken leg and I've had a broken heart, and the broken heart was worse. A broken, crushed spirit. Weeping is real. It feels like it lasts a long time. But joy, verse 5, comes in the morning. And not just any old joy, but a joy that banishes away that darkness and grief and causes the psalmist to say, just erupt with praise. By the time you get there at the end of this psalm, verse 11, you turn my wailing into dancing. I'm dancing now. You remove my sackcloth, clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I'll praise you forever. And then he also calls the whole assembly into praise. So the psalmist calls God's people into the same worship. It's the purpose of this psalm. I want you to know this same joy and delight in God. And he calls us up to it. So verse 4, Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For dot, dot, dot. Off we go. Now, I want to pray like this. I want to have this kind of joy. I really do. This is my prayer for, for myself and for us, that we would know the kind of joy that the psalmist is expressing here. Joy. Dancing joy. Delight in the Lord that is so excited about God and his works and ways that we want to gather up everyone, the whole people of God, and say, sing his praise. He's good. Genuinely. I want us to be a church like that. But if we're going to do that, we need to head into some slightly deeper waters, because there is, there is a section of this psalm here. It may have just, you know, caught you as you read it, as we heard it, in verse 5, which just... You may have thought, hang on a second. Verse 5. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to half quote it. Uh, We're not that kind of church. So verse 5 actually says this. You notice this? We quote the second, I do this. We do quote the second half of the verse a lot. But the first half goes like this. For his anger. Well, let me me just go, let's back up to verse 4. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. Why? Right? For his anger, God's anger, God's anger, God's anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, see what the psalmist has done there? He's put together those two ideas. There's a semicolon in the English, but it's one sentence in Hebrew. So they're 
weeping of the night maps onto the anger of God. And the joy in the morning, his favour. That's jarring. Isn't it? I wonder how we feel about that. And I definitely don't want to trivialise this because there's suffering going on in this church now. I know people are suffering. And we know that people are suffering all over the world. So I'm going to be very, very careful here. Because this is psalmist really saying that when we see suffering, when you see weeping, when you see trial and difficulty, what we've got to do is relate that to God's anger. We're really putting those two ideas together. Is the psalmist putting those ideas together? That might be one end of the that might be one way to fall off the wagon here, is to go wherever I see suffering. So if I see a person suffering, or I see a people suffering or a city or a nation like Haiti if I see suffering ah God's angry he's angry with that people with that person with that situation with that place I don't want us to fall off that wagon and I particularly don't because of one anchor verse that I get from the from the gospels from John 9 let's just go there it's a good one to have Right, so that we don't fall off the wagon that way. Remember Jesus is asked by his disciples, he says, um, the disciples ask him, um, this man here who's born blind, was it his sins? Or was it the sins of his ancestors, his parents? That, that meant he was born blind. And Jesus says, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't because of sin. It wasn't because of God's anger at his sin. It is for a purpose, Jesus says. It is for the glory of God that he is blind. It's not meaningless. His suffering isn't meaningless. But it wasn't tied up with either his or his father's sins. So Jesus right there just straight away gives us reason not to always immediately link suffering with anger because of sin. But... At the same time, I don't want to fall off the wagon the other way. So there is a falling off the wagon this way, which goes, whenever I see suffering or trial or difficulty or someone weeping, God's anger must be, must be God's doing something here, and he's angry. Right? That's falling off the wagon one way. But the other way is to never say that God's got anything to do with suffering and to treat God as quite distant, especially when it comes to suffering. Right? So someone's suffering... And we never, ever say that's got anything ever to do with the Lord. And we can do that as well. So we might say, <clears throat> the reason we're suffering is because of circumstances, things that have happened. Maybe I've done something, I've, someone's done something to me. We live in a fallen world. Say those things, don't we? That's why we're suffering. Nothing to do. Nothing to do with the Lord. Now I want to avoid that as well. Um, so I don't want to say, on the one hand, no, suffering always comes because of God's anger. Neither do I want to say God's never got anything to do with it. I want to let the psalm be my guide. And so we're going to press in and see, all right, can you give us some clues then and help us to understand what God might be doing here? Because on the other side of this church, this is, is the joy so it's worth it. So let's just press in 
and look at the case study, right? Because he actually goes, I'll give you the case study. This is where, this is where I want to show you. This is where, you know, this is the kind of trial that I went through. I'm showing you what it looked like. So verse 6, if you, uh, if you blink, you miss it. But this is what he says. Verse 6 at the top of the screen there. Psalmist goes, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favoured me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. Now, you see the psalmist is kind of confessing something here. He's saying something about his own life. What he's saying is, when everything was going all right and I knew security, I wasn't threatened by poverty. I wasn't threatened by enemies. I wasn't threatened by disease. And I was secure on my mountain, my fortress. I had my walls up and everything was fine. And I said, I I can never be shaken. And so if you like, the psalmist at this stage, in the case study at this stage, their, their joy, their security was bound up, it was hooked up into some pretty ordinary things like, I'm healthy, and I'm safe, and I've got what I need, and no one can come against me. Um, now into that, into that situation, I shall never be shaken, into that folly, into that self-reliance, the Lord shows him something, and that's the very next verse, verse 7, where he says, Lord, he realises, actually, it was your favour. It was your favour that made my mountain stand firm, but when you hid your face, I was dismayed. Oh, no, it's all gone, or it's going. Now, when we as God's people, let's just look at our own lives, when we as God's people look at our securities, things around us, and we're pinning our joys, much like I said right at the top of this sermon, on the same things I think that most people, will, ourselves included, will be inclined to go towards, I'm pinning my joys on actually my external circumstances, the things around me which are giving me some security and some hope. I've got some money, I've got some house, I've got some, you know, security, I've got all those things. I'll pin my joys, I'll pin my satisfaction to those things. You've got to watch out. Because I, I do think if, if we're there in that place, the Lord's going to dislodge that kind of hooking up those joys and securities to those things. The Lord's going to dislodge that connection, take it away, as a a work of his mercy. So you remember the parable of the sower when Jesus spoke of um, new converts? He said there there will be a testing, a kind of testing, for the Christian for the new convert that will show whether you're, whether you're really hooked up to the Lord 
and trusting in the Lord God, or actually you're hooked up to the cares and preoccupations of this world. Shush. And of course, Jesus says, when those thorns press in, when actually um, those securities and our joy and satisfaction in those things is poked and prodded and taken away, or then Jesus says many will, at that stage, sadly, many will fall away. And so... I'm praying this morning, I'm praying through the week that our joys will be... The Lord, when he deals with us in this way, we will come through and our joys will be deepened because they'll be fixed on the Lord and not on some of these external things which come and go. And we don't know when they'll come and when they'll go. But sure enough, when they go, and the Lord may do that, He may do that as a sign of his, well, we might say his rebuke, his correction, so that our joy isn't in those things, but in God. And that when we get there, when the Lord brings us, when the Lord brings us to that realization, we find a new dependence. So this is the second part of the case study. Do you see this? This is what the psalm, this is what happens to the psalmist. When, when the Lord shows him this, he goes, verse 8, a new kind of defend- dependence comes upon him. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried to mercy. What is gained if I'm silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. So you can see at that stage, the Lord's kind of, He's beginning to dislodge. He's dislodging those hopes and joys in the things that shouldn't give us joy. And he's giving us newfound dependence, a new dependence on him. And when he gets there, and it's a desperate place, isn't it? He's crying out now. His prayers are real. And when he gets there, and the Lord then restores him. He was probably unwell. I don't know if you saw that at the beginning of the psalm. It was probably something to do with his health because it said, Lord, I called to you for help and you healed me. When he gets there, he finds this new joy that comes out in verses 8 and 9. Uh, Sorry, 11 and 12. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy. Now that's the kind of joy I'm, I'm praying the Lord will take us to this morning as a church. Will take us through those difficult times, those difficult times, when often it can be revealed that our joys are just anchored into things that aren't really God, but other things. And take us into a new dependence which will create a deeper joy in God. And in case you're wondering, I'm closing off, in case you're wondering whether this seems a little bit harsh, would God really do this? Would God really, really take someone through that process? Would God really show himself to be like that? We do know of one righteous man who never said to himself, I'll never be shaken on my own strength. But did go down, right down, into the pit 
wasn't just dangled over the edge of the pit, but went right into the pit and lost everything. Lost all of his health because he died. Lost all of his wealth because every last thing of his was gambled away at the moment of his death. All of his enemies were gloating over him. And at the last, all of his followers had fallen away. And he was on his own. In the pit. Right down. And so Jesus, who took that deepest pit, though he didn't deserve it, he wasn't the one saying, I'm secure and I'm all right and my mountain will never crumble, even though he didn't deserve it, he went down into that pit and so he gets the greatest joys. Do you remember that verse? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And because Jesus went into that deepest pit, because the living God himself went down into that pit, the deepest places, so the living God gets the greatest joys. And he sings the psalm first. You know, when we read the Psalms, it's Jesus, the Messiah, the true David, the true psalmist. He sings and prays these songs first. And we just join in as the backing vocalists. It's more like that, isn't it? Jesus sings the songs first. He shows us the route through the pit to the joys on the other side. He knows what the weeping of the night feels like and the joy that comes in the morning. And he sings it out. And he gathers us, God's people, to join him in that same song. We may know that weeping of the night when all of the securities are stripped away, but the joy that comes with a new dependence and a new anchor in God. And I pray that we'll know it more and more every day, every week. Let's pray together. Light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal glory far beyond comparison, says Paul. The Apostle Peter, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will restore you, secure you, strengthen you, and establish you. And James tells us, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith is developing a new kind of perseverance. Lord God, we pray to you, Lord, that we would find the deepest joys in you and where there needs to be a work, Lord, of stripping away joys that are hooked up into things that can so easily come and go, we invite you to do that work and give us a new dependence on you, steadfast and sure, and a deep delight and a deep joy in you that, in, 
that we'll know that will surpass every deep and dark night of weeping and pain. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.